I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in another Made for March podcast here getting you set for another busy jam-packed weekend of college hoops. Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky here with you. We are here with you two times a week. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, get it directly into your preferred podcast provider right in the morning or the afternoon whenever they come out. Usually Monday, Tuesday, one early in the week from us and then Thursday, Friday time period we drop our second one. One late in the week where we Kind of preview the weekend slate and catch up on anything that happened throughout the week. So, Ty, that's kind of the agenda today, and it starts with the Oats Boat, Alabama. We've been talking Grab about it a lot here. But get in. Get in <laughs> where you can. This, right. this is not going to be like a, a Noah's Ark deal where we're only taking two of each animal, okay? Everyone's welcome in on the Oats Boat here, okay? Get in while you can because I think we're gonna we're gonna leave the dock around NCAA tournament time and we're not letting once we're out at sea there's no getting back on. I mean, what they're doing though, it's it became it's it used to be a one and done and we're gonna get to our one and dones where it's just a little thought like oh look out for Alabama they've won three in a row oh look out for Alabama they've won five in a row now it is a full fledged are they a title contender I'm looking at Bavada Sportsbook right now. And they're 16 to 1 to win it all. They've definitely risen a lot lately. That puts them the ninth best odds on Bavada to win it all at the moment. And we've talked a lot about how Gonzaga or the field, like it's it's a tough year to really pick too many of these sleepers, but I could see Alabama winning it all. I know that's outlandish for some people that aren't following this too closely or just consider Alabama a football school because that's obviously what they are and they will never not be a football school. But what they're doing basketball wise right now objectively is a national title contender i mean you look at it the the defense and the offense they're neck and neck offense right now 13th best in the country per ken palm defense 10th best in the country the team as a whole right now is 11th i saw what jeff goodman i think had them up to eight on his goodman top 25 so this team is humming right now seven and oh in the conference and guess what you've cleared the major hurdle in your regular season slate you beat Tennessee and not just that you beat them on the road too and now you're getting into this phase of your season where you're rolling through teams I get that the SEC isn't great because you've got Kentucky who's down Florida's lost two of its best players Tennessee can be hot and cold sometimes so the SEC is not great but it doesn't matter if they're great when you're winning these games by 20 or 30 points Because at the end of the day, if you're doing that, I don't care who you're playing against. It's the same thing as Gonzaga. They're not playing anyone special in their conference slate, but they're winning all the games by 25, 30 points, so it doesn't matter. Well, that's the thing. I saw a stat the other day. They played the toughest schedule of anyone, statistically, in the SEC so far. I mean, you look at the teams they're blowing out. LSU, Arkansas. Say what you want about Kentucky, but you're still blowing them out. At Rupp, too. Um... Florida crushed Florida you, you beat Tennessee by by eight I mean these games are not close I, I'm looking right now they've played a four-point game against Auburn that is the closest game they have played in SEC play yeah everything else is almost double digits or, or, or better every potential SEC contender to win it all I guess with the exception of Mizzou they have not played Mizzou 
I mean, every other one they have played, and they've beaten them handedly so far. LSU, they won this game 105-75 to back on Tuesday night. And we're going into the game thinking, yeah, they're probably going to win. It's going to be a high-scoring game. But, I mean, they shoot 20, they make 23 threes in the game. That's an SEC record. You were watching it. I, I had to be driving somewhere. I unfortunately missed most of the first half. But I'm following along on my phone and different stuff, and I'm looking at John Petty, and I'm looking at Quinterly, <laughs> and they just would not miss a three. Their shot chart in this game was stupid. Some A lot of people were tweeting out the second half alone, how it was just a ton of threes around the edges and then a huge blob right in, right in the middle at the rim. And there's nothing in the mid-range. We've talked a lot about how Nate Oates has just like, removed the mid-range entirely from this team. And it is working He's an right NBA now. coach coaching college basketball right now. It's yeah. amazing. Can we just take a step back real quick? We, we christened this thing as the Oates boat. And it's important to do that because of what he's brought. Let's just take a look at how this guy's journey started. He was a high school math teacher not too long ago in the state of Michigan. Coaching high school basketball, he gets, uh, uh, what was the exact path? Did he get an assistant job, and then he, he eventually elevates to the head coach at Buffalo? Had, has an amazing I forget what was before Buffalo, Bulls. but yeah. But there was a little was... buffer in between there, but he goes to Buffalo, has a great run there, beats uh, the DeAndre Ayton-led Arizona team, and crushes that team in the NCAA tournament, and then the year after that, he... Or not the year after that he goes has another successful run with Buffalo and then he's going and he's uh, going up against these teams like I mean he went out and beat Syracuse and that was a huge deal for that team at the time and then the year after that he goes to Alabama and he's risen this program now and he's not just built the program to have success now he's gonna have sustained success because the recruiting classes that he's bringing in I mean we're getting to the point now where he is pulling in five stars and it's kind of like. Alabama football, Alabama basketball, it's, it almost feels like Spider-Man meme in Tus- Tuscaloosa right now. Because they are pulling in these unheralded recruits time and time again, and it's just a formula for success. I would expect Alabama's here now, and they're going to be here for the next three to five years as long as Nate Oates is still the head coach. So Nate Oates is 46 years old. In 2013, I got his Wikipedia up now just to confirm all this, and you're right, he was a Buffalo assistant for two years before he was at Buffalo for four years. But in 2013, he was at Romulus High School in Detroit coaching and teaching a math class. Like, that was not that long ago. 2013, now here he is in 2021. And honestly, if there's a short list of coaches that are in the age bracket of, like, removing the... Roy Williams, the Jim Beheim, Coach KT, or even Leonard Hamilton, and you're just looking at coaches that are maybe in the 45 to 55, 60 age bracket that you want right now to take over your program. If I'm an elite program right now, I'm looking at Nate Oates, and I'm thinking, this guy's kind of the future. He has just gone all in on the analytics, and if you like that stuff as an AD, as a program, whatever, He's the guy that you're targeting right now. And honestly, I, I bet Alabama will hang on to him for a little bit longer. But I think we've always said that Nate Oates is one of those up-and-coming coaches. To me, it's like Nate Oates. I think what Mike Young is doing at Virginia Tech is probably underrated as well. There's a lot of coaches right now that are probably climbing up the radar. Chris Holtman's one of them. But he's on a short list to me of that next wave that could potentially one day fall into the category of the crop of coaches from that generation because 
why wouldn't he be? He's only 46, and he'll probably take another job better than Alabama at some point if he keeps well, on Well, can I say drive. this? Let me make the case for why he might be there a long, long time. I mean, sure, you can say the SEC is not some basketball powerhouse, but Cal's been at, at Kentucky, and he's not going anywhere for the near future. I mean, you can build a program in these these non-heralded basketball conferences. Look yeah, but Kentucky Q. is... A total Kentucky, outlier. no, don't get me wrong. Kentucky's a brand, and, and that's great. But you're going to have every resource available imaginable to you because of the fact that football is so good. The money is always going to be a, a, a steady stream from that. And basketball is just kind of supplemental cash at that point. But if I'm Nate Oates, if I can build something at Alabama, you're in a power five. Like I don't necessarily see there to be a reason for why he would want to take a, a quote-unquote step up if you can build Alabama to be this perennial powerhouse. Like, if Alabama can, for the next two, three years, consistently be a top-ten team, they're going to have the money to pay him whatever he wants, at least to, to match whatever whatever another program can offer. So I don't know if I would even think about... Like, if he finds a cushy lifestyle in Tuscaloosa, loves living there, his kids are going to school, all that stuff, I don't know if I'd want to leave because yeah. if you can show that you can recruit there, they're bringing in five stars. If you can show that you can get guys to come in through the transfer portal, they got Javon Quinterly. If you can do all of that stuff, you've got every single resource imaginable available at your, at like the drop of a hat. I don't know if I'd want to leave Alabama. Like you all of a sudden have kind of turned it into a pretty attractive job. Well, yeah, it's always an attractive job, and you always fall into the, it's everyone's personal opinion. Like, if they happen to like the place, then why not stay there? We we often joke he coaches like an NBA coach. Maybe he leaves for an NBA job. I mean, this is all kind that's of true. premature. Yeah, like that, that stuff, is a, that is a very real possibility, yes. Yeah, they've won seven games. I don't want anyone to think that we're just completely overreacting. I mean, not that long ago on this podcast, back in maybe late November, early December, I was like, eh. When's Nate Oates going to prove that he's can sort of get the talent together and, and get the things going? And then he suspended Petty, and now Petty's been probably the best player in the SEC for an extended period of time here as they just continue to run over competition. And right now when I look at the SEC, they're a full two games ahead of everyone else after Tennessee lost a tough one to Florida. Tennessee got blown out the Crushed. other night by Florida. Shorthanded and, Florida team, too. Yeah, and I guess Tennessee was shorthanded a little bit, too, but... Florida, I can't make any sense of. They've been really puzzling and are probably inside the bubble now after that Tennessee win pretty firmly, but it just has been an odd, odd year for Florida. And there's been a lot of other stuff. You know, the Keontae Johnson stuff made it a lot tougher on them, I'm sure. But still, just a weird year for them. You don't know which Florida team is showing up on any given night. I look now, Tennessee is 13-1 to on Bavada to win the title. Bama 16-1. to That is the SEC teams right now at that top tier. I, I think Alabama, if I'm picking one of those teams, I'm picking Alabama. And I'm a Tennessee guy. I like Tennessee. Yeah, They're I know you're you're big on, on floppy top over there, but right. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, that Alabama is the the team out of the SEC right now. I mean, they've A, already proven that they can go in and beat Tennessee. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to run the table here because there are still some tough games. I mean, you can say what you want about, about the, some of the wins that they've had, but you're going to play LSU again. We have seen a lot of times so far this season, especially in the Big East too, 
we've seen a lot of times where these teams, they'll go out, get a big win on the road, and then when they host that team at their place, it's a loss. So I want to see a team like Alabama, one that, that doesn't have a track record of success per se, go out and when LSU comes to your place, do it. When Kentucky comes to your place, go do it. All that stuff. That's what I want to see out of this team heading forward. Yeah. And by the way, on the Tennessee-Florida topic, did you see the Florida Gators men's basketball Twitter, what they posted after the win the other night? I did not. No, I missed this. Okay. All right. So this was so. This is maybe the tweet of the year. I'll just give the, the backstory on it first. So Tennessee, uh, for those that don't follow college football as closely, Jeremy Pruitt's been fired from Tennessee, and there was talks, I guess it's allegations right now, that Tennessee was paying players through McDonald's bags. I did see that. That's basically (laughs) the storyline. So Florida Twitter after Tennessee is blown out by Florida. I forget what it was 70 to 40 something or uh, Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Yeah. Bad, bad loss for Tennessee. Florida tweets the final score, a little graphic, and then they put, we're loving it with a little emoji (laughs) winky face, (laughs) which is maybe the tweet of the year from them. You know what? Yeah. Th- these social teams are so good these days. They're they're unbelievable. The the content that they put out, the memes, the all that stuff, they're just the way that they're cued in on pop culture and, and just little things like that are yeah. amazing. Not but, everyone got it, but oh, that's so good. Yeah. It was so good. So shout out to them and really shout out to Florida. Can that we was do good that? to see them bounce back. I think we need to start a, a, a little segment here. We can do it. Maybe we do it on Mon- well we do, we do do the Baconator Bachelor on Mondays from here on out. But we need to do like a social team of the week. Yeah. Like who who won the week with with social because they the college social teams are unbelievable. So I think we need to start that. Yeah, there was a great post-game celebration video from Purdue this week too. They would have been in the running. I don't know if you saw that, but that was a fu- there's always great stuff going out on social and we usually yeah, we should just make it a segment. We we'll each we we'll usually- each pick a team here moving forward. Okay, I like it can that. Be, it well, can be a player, too. Players can win. Coaches can win. Like I, right. I have a feeling I'm going to hand out some trophies to, to Leonard Hamilton because I love his Twitter. Yeah, you're a big fan of him just in general. I mean, who isn't? Yeah. We, we love Leonard Hamilton on this podcast. Yeah, Tennessee, real quickly on them, they won the shot quality of the game, like shotquality.com. We always bring them up on this podcast. They were projected to win the game based on shots attempted against Florida, which was by far the biggest shot quality versus reality sort of change in, in the entire season. Like, I think they ended up losing by 28 or something. They projected to win the game. Tennessee, number one in shot quality right now in the country. It's weird, though, because they shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers. Unlike Alabama, they're shooting almost 35 40% from the mid-range at this point, which is kind of archaic, some would say, but it seems like they just sometimes struggle to rebound and then also if teams are scoring against them which is not very often they have a great defense but if teams can score and they get behind they just don't have a lot of offensive pop they're right now middle tier in the sec in offensive stats so i would take alabama over them to win the title i would take alabama over them to win the sec i think alabama is a better team right now and if i'm making a power rankings Alabama is borderline seven or eight for me, maybe even six if you really crunch the numbers, because I would definitely have, let's just talk about the teams I'd have ahead of them. Gonzaga, Baylor, I'd still probably put Iowa ahead. Villanova coming off the pause, they got to win this week. I think I'd still give them a slight edge ahead of 
Alabama, and then maybe Texas, and and that's kind of it. I mean, Michigan too, probably. Michigan, so. I would probably throw in that conversation. You know, I was I was Houston. thinking about this. Yeah, but like, it's one of those things where okay, Houston, Houston right now. But if you put those two in a gym today, who are you taking? I'm probably taking Alabama. I really am. And there's not a lot of teams that I would be taking over Alabama right now. But I think you laid out the the pretty obvious ones there. And to me, it's the balance that that I'm really struck by. I mean, they've got that that top 15 offense, that top 15 defense. And and in the Ken Palm era, I mean, all but one of the champions for the, the NCAA tournament have finished top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. So they've got that formula of a national championship. And, and as I look through the, the tops of the top here on Ken Palm of teams with both of that, the teams that fit that criteria right now, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, uh, Houston, Virginia, Wisconsin, Texas, Alabama, and that's your list. That's your list right there. So I think I, I yeah. rattled off nine teams that per Ken Palm right now kind of fit that criteria that can win a national championship. Right. So how Bavada has it lays out laid out, I mentioned they're ninth with sixteen to one odds to win it all now, which is a big jump up. Zaga's three to one, Baylor six to one, Michigan's eight to one. I think I, there's no reason to take Michigan to win it all at that price in my eyes. If anything, eight I would to just one, go yeah. further. If, if you down. got your preseason ticket, you're sitting pretty. Because yeah. they were like 30, 40, 50 to 1 or something like that. And listen, we advised you. They could be a team that maybe like you get them to go to the Final Four or something like that. So now at that price, I'm with you. It's very right. tough, especially for a team that's led by a freshman big. We just That's not always a recipe for success. Like I even bring it up. I mentioned DeAndre Ayton and his his first round flop with Arizona. Like the freshman big man isn't always the recipe for success. But it's a nice piece to have. Now, that's not to say that Michigan doesn't have other pieces. They obviously have a very experienced backcourt, some talented transfers, all that stuff. But at, at the 8-1 to one price that you're giving me there, I'm with you. I'm probably not From a value perspective. Yeah. Right, it's, yes. I like Michigan. I understand they didn't have Eli Brooks when they lost to Minnesota. I'm not really overreacting to that. I think we've talked about it, but... I think Michigan and Alabama are almost in the same tier for me right now. If I'm just thinking, like chances of winning the national title because Alabama has proven they can kind of get into a gear here offensively and defensively that not a lot of teams can match. And when they're going right, they're one of the top five, top 10 teams in the country, Michigan, same way. So if they're pretty similar in that regard, I just go further down the odds list to Bama at 16 to one. I also would probably wait if I'm really being strategic about it because Bama's going to lose a game at some point. And then that's like right now they are so, so hot. I mean, they're leading our podcast, so that's probably not the best time to bet on them to win it all. But I guess you can make a case that they're this is sustainable and they're just going to stay in this range and in that tier of national title contender for the rest of the year. And we've seen the odds are, are steeply dropping on Bama. If you just go to Bavada, like not too long ago, we were talking about a team that was probably what, 40 to one. And maybe even like a week ago, they were 30 to one. And you could still get some supreme value there. And now they're obviously where they're at now. So I look at this Bama team, and I think one of the the fun things about them is that they do play like an NBA team. And you bring up the, the Nate Oates and the analytics and the married to the NBA style of ball sort of thing is that this team plays fast. 
They're fifth in pace right now offensively, and they shoot a ton of threes. They have the 18th highest rate of three-point to field goal attempt uh, ratio right now, and almost half of their shots are coming from three, and they're shooting the three ball at a 36% clip. So you factor all of that in, and you're going to have a pretty potent offense. And it got me thinking a little bit in terms of teams that play an NBA style of basketball. Like, how would you rank them? Because right now I'm looking at a team like Gonzaga. They play an NBA style. Iowa, NBA style. Alabama, certainly an NBA style. Like, I'm looking at those teams, and we're starting to see, I feel like, a shift where, okay, maybe you're not the most talented team defensively. Look at Iowa. Maybe you're not the most talented team, um, or maybe you don't have the the same pedigree as most schools, Alabama. And you just go out and sort of adopt this NBA style of ball, and you're taking that next step, that next leap. And God, if I'm a player, that's what I want to play for. If, yeah. if I'm going in, I'm playing, and everyone says, okay, yep, that's going to translate to the NBA because of that, then yeah, that that's certainly what I want to do. That's a, that's a destination spot. Yeah, I was thinking the other day about Gonzaga and Baylor and how they're in that top tier in a lot of people's eyes together right now, and it's kind of those two and then everyone else. And Gonzaga and Baylor, well, they're both dominating. I agree they're both the two best teams in the country at this point. Gonzaga, to me, is like playing NBA basketball in college. Baylor right. is just playing like every other really great college team. Like Baylor is mastering everything that makes a really good college team successful. And what we've seen has translated to the NCAA tournament in the past. So it's just going to be an interesting sort of style contrast. Clash of the Titans, we get, yeah. Yeah, once we get to tournament time, they really are pretty different, even though they're dominating teams both at an equally very, very impressive rate. But yeah, like could let, could Bay is that the conversation we're having now? Could Baylor go out and beat like the Washington Wizards? Like is, is that what we're gonna get to right now? No. I, I think Gonzaga would have the best shot of anyone because they already play that NBA style where they're used to scoring in the hundreds in a game. Baylor mm-hmm. would be like, Why are we playing so fast? and hang on, like <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to set shoe. a charge here. Yeah. <laughs> like, that guy traveled over there. What are we doing? Yeah. Why do carry, we call that? Carry. So, yeah. yeah. How, how, many times exactly. would, uh, how many times would we see Scott Drew erupt at a, a Russell Westbrook carry? Oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Baylor is you just... You can't do that. What, what are we doing over yeah, there? Yeah. It's not like Baylor's old school, but they're not new school. They're not throwing... Yeah like a ton of threes up there or anything. They're just kind of a really great team. Like I love looking at college basketball through the generational lens. Like the old guy, who is the old guy going to be rooting for in this NCAA tournament? Probably Baylor. Like I'm trying to think of who else the the old guy might be rooting for, but I I would say like Baylor, maybe a a Michigan, I think the the old guy would be rooting for. But the the kid who's filling out his first bracket is probably rooting for a, a Gonzaga They'll probably like Alabama. They they'll like Iowa. Like that's what the the kid filling out his first brackets rooting for. Um, and then the old guy, the one who wants to slap the floor and roll with the short shorts and and plays rock solid defense, is probably pulling for uh, a Baylor or a Michigan or uh, a Virginia, Wisconsin teams like yeah. that. By the way, LSU. They just can't guard a lick. I, I still don't understand. I've talked about it a lot in this. They, they have so many athletes, so many five stars, four stars, and I don't know how they gave up 105 points or 23 threes. I know a lot of it was Alabama, but they've got major problems defensively for the talent they have. But let's uh, let's get into our one and dones here. 
One and done. Oh my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> I want to start with my blue blood panic meter, basically. So we can talk a little Ooh, bit yes, about Oh, yes, I Kentucky. love this. All right. Yeah. <laughs> because this is something we've been doing a lot. Now, I don't know if it's ever collectively, like this time, I'll give you all my ratings in a second here. It's on a one to 10 scale, 10 being, oh my God, panic has set in. We're slamming the panic button. Collectively, I, I don't think the score has ever tallied up to this high at this point because Duke had a bad loss to Pittsburgh this week. Well, I'll just give you the rankings. Big for Kentucky the Capel successor rankings, by the way. Yeah, I know. Capel was the, the, the first Coach K, uh, successor player. rankings. That's pretty good. Yeah, Capel, and we can talk about Pitt too at some point because they've got something going there. Capel is the first former player to beat Coach K. I know he's the uh, not the first former assistant because I think Collins or, or Mike Bray is, has beaten K before, but first former yeah. player to beat him, which is kind of interesting. I thought that was sort of took a while for that to happen. I guess it almost top happened with Dawkins in the tournament too, and it probably should have happened. That is true, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. In the Zion year. But, um, okay, so my blue blood panic meter, 1 to 10 scale. Kentucky, for me, is a firm 10. I mean, you, you can't put them anywhere else right now, right? Like they, no, they're That going loss for to Cal's Georgia head. is inexplicable. I mean, yeah. they should stop even worrying about the NCAA tournament. I mean, this is a full-on, like, are we making the NIT? Or, like, I mean, if they're not accepting an NIT invite, right? it's going to be like those those yeah like it's going to be like those bowl games that we saw in college football where okay yeah we got our six wins but we're not going to accept the bowl just because tough year these kids need to go see their families i get it i I don't see an nit tournament happening uh in all honesty but or at least not with the the way that we're we're used to seeing it but i i'm i'm with you i mean how can you say anything else it's it is a firm 10 and like Listen, if there's a year that you want to be a blue blood and be at DEFCON 10 right now, like th- this is it. And I, I guess I, last year too. <laughs> yeah, it's to, really yeah, the last I guess. Year. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Um, but I, I'm looking at this Kentucky team and it, it's the, one of those things like this could totally be completely solved next year. It really could because of the fact that you can bring back a number of guys. A number of guys are just going to leave innately because of the NBA and their draft stock and all that stuff. But you could be bringing back, A, a lot of talented pieces next year, and B, even if you don't, you're going to replenish with some talented pieces no matter what in your freshman class. So if I'm Kentucky, I'm not concerned long-term. And I know there's like the Big Blue Nations calling for Cal's head. Right. No, like (laughs) you shouldn't be. A, first of all, this is the John Calipari experience, all right? This is what you knew you were going to get. You, obviously, sometimes the, the winning comes at the sacrifice of having great players. So I, I'm, I'm not ready to, to fully panic on the long-term outlook of Kentucky, but if we're talking about short-term, 2021, are they going to be in the tournament? No, they, they have zero chance of making the NCAA tournament unless they win the SEC. Right. Bart Torvik right now has given he gives them a 1% chance of making the tournament, which I'm assuming is just them winning the SEC. That is that yeah, it has to be. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no yeah. other path for them or no other feasible path for them to win or, or to get into the NCAA tournament, right? There, there just isn't. And you got a bunch of tough games still on your schedule if you're yeah, Kentucky. They, I mean, you still have another game with Alabama. Here, here's your next five games. You know what? I'll throw a sixth game in there. Your next six games for Kentucky, LSU, Alabama, Texas, Mizzou, Tennessee, Arkansas. 
Yeah, it's a lot. Of there loss. is a strong world. You go zero and six. A strong, strong. Like right now, Ken Palm has them going one and five, with the only win being that home game against Arkansas, and it's by one. I could see them winning against a Tennessee, or like they still have the talent. But you're right. I mean, we shouldn't even be talking about Kentucky that much longer on this podcast because it is totally, totally done, except for a, a miracle SEC tournament run. Next on the Blue Blood Panic Meter, Duke at a nine now this week. They are now thirteen percent. 13% chance on Bart Torvik to make the tournament. It has been never as low as this. Duke is 0-3 in quad one games. They lose to Justin Champagny and Pitt this week. They just have no quality wins. And never once this year have you been like, oh yeah, that they they found it. It clicked there. Like even for a half for a 10-minute stretch, when you watch them, not once have I seen the pieces come together and be like, yep, that's the flashes of brilliance. Like, even UNC has at least shown some flashes. But Duke, I mean, at this point, they're not going to make the tournament, most likely. 13% chance, like, and that's not, as it stands right now, Bart Torvik projects, based on the remaining schedule and everything, and everyone else's remaining schedule, what the chances are. That's a low percentage. I still think they could make it, but I think you got to put them at a 9 right now. Ken Palm right now has them ranked 29th, and and that to I don't me, get it. is unbelievable. I mean, they're ranked 29th, their offense is ranked 30th, their defense is ranked 46th. I don't get how the computer spits out the number 29, but, I mean, it's Ken Palm's model, not mine. I look at this team. You know what their composite, in terms of the average opponent Ken Palm ranking is right now for their wins? Take their five wins, the composite average ranking that they have. Oh, it's got to be... Above 100. Their best one is what? Notre Dame? I mean, Best one is anything. Notre Dame at an 85. So for context. Yeah, like 180 or something. I don't know. You're, you're pretty damn close. 172.8. I, I just did the quick math there. And I look at these games. I mean, Coppin State, you win by 10 to open out against Team 330. Then you play Bellarmine, all right? You blow up Bellarmine by 22. You beat Notre Dame by 10. BC by 1. Wake by 11. Both that wake game is at home, by the way. And right. I mean, it is just I can't believe how how this team has kind of crumbled because they did bring back some important pieces. But kind of like we said, if Matthew Hurt is going to be your best player, you are not going to go very far. And that's not yeah. to take anything away from Matthew Hurt. He, he's shooting the ball very, very well this year. But that's not the guy that you want to, to be your number one. You you needed one of these freshmen to really step up this year. And so far, none of them have. And I get Jalen Johnson's been battling some injuries and all that stuff. But Jordan Goldwire has continued to be Jordan Goldwire. Um, and Joey Baker is not what he panned out to, to be when you got him to reclassify. And just no one else has really stepped up. No one's right. shooting the ball. I mean, it's got it's got these shades of what the Duke team was a couple years ago with Zion, except none of the freshmen have stepped up. If they had one of those guys playing like... Well, Jalen Johnson got the, hurt. Now he's back. Yeah the, yeah. The, yeah, the injuries, of course, playing a factor there. But if you got one of those guys to step up and play like one of those three from, from two seasons ago, you might have something. Well, you, you might have a, a tournament team, is what I'm <laughs> right. trying to say. And I know that sounds like such a low bar for, for Duke fans, but... It is it is tough sledding right now with this Duke team. And again, I don't see it getting much better. I mean, you do have a decently tough stretch, and especially matchup-wise, I don't think they stack up well with any of their next 
what I'm, I'm looking at, next five opponents. I don't think you really do. When you look at Louisville on the road, then you got Georgia Tech, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina. I mean, that could be a two and three stretch right there, maybe even one and four. Is the UNC Duke second game this year going to be to get into the NCAA tournament? Is it going to be like an NCAA tournament playing game? The What is it? Early March when they usually meet? I don't know what it is on the calendar. Yeah, it's the the last game of the year, March 6th this year. Is it going to be a a play-in game, you're asking? I mean, I I just think Duke might be so far out at that point. Right. They really (laughs) might because, like, they have this tough stretch here, and then they close out against Virginia, Syracuse, Louisville, Tech, and North Carolina. And those are going to be five tough games right there. Is it Virginia that? Tech or at the end? Oh, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, not Virginia Tech. Yeah, oh, okay. Virginia yeah. Tech or Georgia Tech, I should say. Let me clarify. But yeah, yeah. So that that's one of the things. Like, that's not going to be an easy. You might have a little buffer in between. All right, you you have a stretch where you go Notre Dame, NC State, Wake, but the the meat of the five next five games and the last five games are not going to be easy for this team. Their easy stretch has already happened. I mean, we talked about how yeah. they were supposed to start off great in ACC play, and they kind of did until they lost to Pitt. And still, the, the way they were winning was not impressive. Next up in the panic meter. Wait, real Michigan quick, St- uh, when we talk yeah. Pitt, I just got to get this out there. Get it out Oh, on yeah, go for it. Justin Champagne is my favorite player to watch in college basketball. Like He is my favorite player who is not one of these freshman one-and-done type of guys. The, the way that he hustles, the rebounding ability that he has, and the putbacks and the dunks. I mean, the guy's 6'6", and he's getting double-doubles every single night. We've seen a couple 20-20 and 20 games out of him. He is my favorite player to watch that's not one of those one-and-done sort of guys. 31-14 and 14 against Duke. I think he's the ACC player of the year right now. I don't if they're yeah, picking I, And he, he's missed out on a ton of games, and I still don't know how you can pick someone else. Because he right. has just been that good. Like, I'm looking through some of the other options. Jay Huff, Carlick Jones, Sam Hauser, Kiva Luma, Matthew Hurt. Like, none of those guys hold a candle to what Justin Champagne Maybe Jay has done. Huff. If Maybe Jay wins. Huff. But yeah. the only reason you would pick Jay Huff right now is because of how many games he's played. Like, that is the tiebreaker right now. And to me, like, in terms of... If you only take the composite of the games that they played, to me, it's not even close. And I, I know we might be getting into sort of the the Zion Rookie of the Year territory or the Ohio State college football playoff candidacy in terms of the sample size. But if Champagny stays healthy the rest of the way, he will have played more than enough games in my eyes. And to me, he will have have it wrapped up. He came back way earlier than I thought. So I'm with you on that. If you're supposed to be like six to eight it, weeks, yeah. Yeah, like Bovada right now, if they set a line for ACC Player of the Year, he would be the favorite, no doubt, I think, at this point, which is kind of remarkable because Pitt is was not supposed to be good, and right now they're a bubble team, but he's been that good. Michigan State, I put as an 8 on the panic meter. They're 26.1%. this week. Yeah, I've j- I just felt like... like I don't blame you. Know, you. It, it, yeah. You're, I think you're largely right, but it, it is a it is a tough, tough time to be a blue blood. Right. Like I said, if you tallied all these numbers up, it would be the highest of any blue blood panic meter because Michigan State, 26.1% chance to make the tournament on Bart Torvik. Carolina, I said, is a seven. They are firmly on the bubble. They're 49.9% to make the tournament on Bart Torvik. And they did. They got Anthony Harris back. They got Caleb Love to kind of have a semi breakout game against Wake Forest the other night. So they're trending up a little bit. And I do think Carolina will 
ultimately make the tournament. But yeah, Carolina, I think is I'm not gonna say soundly in, but I, I feel good uh, of all the yeah. teams you've listed. Like aside from Kansas, who is essentially a lock, I, I feel good about Carolina. Right. Well, you could even throw in Indiana because they're kind of a bubble team right now too, and a lot of people consider them a blue blood. As an so, if you were to let's just give you those five teams: Indiana, Carolina, Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky. Over under one and a half tournament teams. You're taking the over probably with Indiana. So you said wait, wait, list those teams out again. Well, actually, okay, better question. Let's take out Indiana. The four blue bloods I measured there: Carolina, Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky. Over under one and a half of those teams make the NCAA tournament. Hmm. I'll lean over because yeah. of the fact that one of either Duke or Michigan State is going to get in, right? Like Michigan State can claim, oh, this the schedule and their strength of schedule is going to be as good as pretty much anyone's. So. I would say, yeah, I'll probably lean, lean over. over like, yeah, Carolina is of that group. If you're gonna like, obviously, Carolina's got the best chance, and they're, I would say, like a quasi lock to to get in. But the uh, uh, Michigan State, like, it the is. The thing tough. is, it's two great coaches. It's Tom Izzo. It's Coach K. You have to think that they'll get the most. Yeah, like, out are you of gonna leave Cal, K, and Izzo out? Like, this is, I'm very interested in this. The net is going to be, I mean, that computer might overheat because of the fact that it's going to be, we're going to see if the, the net holds any weight. Let's just put it that way. Right. We're going to see how much that, that computer means to the NCAA. Yeah. All right, what do you got for your one and dones this week? All right, well, I've got less uh, basketball sort of one and dones this week and more off the field stuff, but let's just start with this. Um, how about Jordan Bohannon? The the war between Jordan Bohannon and the Iowa parking attendants right now, it is gotten out of hand. We we have to start asking ourselves, why are they picking on Jordan Bohannon? Because they are being relentless with parking tickets right now. And Tim, I know, you as someone who has had a car at college, it is yep. very, very tough. And there's no crueler, crueler, crueler person on campus than the people who hand out the parking tickets and there's this war right now they are coming after him in full force i'm reading through some of these tweets that he's had and and he's going through a parking update i parked my car at 10:50 a.m for a covid testing put the meter for 11:22, and she's already out giving tickets at 11:25. the violence needs to end and the university of iowa city <laughs> Or the city of Iowa City replied to this him. This is not saying, what I expected for your first one. And no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but Iowa City, the, the verified Iowa City Twitter account says, the city and you, Iowa, have had some hardworking parking attendants, but they aren't police. If you feel an Iowa City-issued ticket is an error, you can appeal it here. Our refs will review the call. Appeal you, uh, University of Iowa tickets here. P.S. Beat IU. So, and then he quotes tweet that and says, hardworking is for sure correct. But there is no more, no bigger demon of society than, than university parking tickets. I mean, there really isn't. You, you can get them for any which thing. And I mean, they're going to, if you have the, your parking meter set to 1122, they're going to be knocking on your, they're going to be writing that thing up at 1123. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I've I wonder if this is the motivation that. that. 
that uh, that Jordan Bohannon needs to, to yeah. I don't know, to, to improve that Iowa defense. I mean, maybe this is, we know that he's not going to appeal the ticket because they don't play defense. So he, the, the university Their defense has been a little bit better. I'll say it, that lately, a little bit better. Little better, but better. yeah, we yeah. we know that maybe that's why I was writing them all the tickets. They know that they're not going to play defense, so uh, they can just write all the tickets they want. Yeah. All right. What else you got for for what? What's your follow up to Jordan Bohannon's parking ticket? So my follow up is uh, Larry Scott and the Pac-12 are are oh, right. uh, parting ways here, and people are wondering: Is this what Mike Hopkins needed to break through? Because he pulled off a big win against Colorado last night. And how about Mike Hopkins and the Washington Huskies? Much needed win for that team. And I'm wondering, is is the fact that Larry Scott no longer in charge having something to do with Mike Hopkins' success? The people are wondering. Okay, yeah. I I didn't really follow that story. Why was he? Why did they part ways? Was there a report or something? There, you... I don't think there's any real method like to the dirt? madness here. Yeah. It's like, I, I think they just... Well, I, I do think a lot of the ADs aren't very happy with how everything got handled with the football season. And right. I, like, I don't think this is anything basketball related. I think this is more of a, a football topic here. But Washington, uh, I, I find it very, very ironic that uh, Washington goes out and picks up its first win the, the day that uh, Larry Scott steps away. Yeah. <laughs> Washington finally a win. We haven't really talked about that. Washington but... won the Pac-12 in football, didn't they? Um, Wasn't it like the the team that had the most wins? Um, this is why West Coast. It's just like yeah. It's, the other day, I'm I pretty looked... sure Washington won the won the Pac-12. Let me let me look this up. Real yeah, quick. stall for me. The other day, I was talking to someone about Mike Hopkins, and they were like, "Oh my God, he's won one game in Washington." Like no one really pays attention when you're out on the West Coast. I mean, it, I guess we got some West Coast listeners here, but it's just hard to really keep up to date with what you're doing. Like USC and Evan Mobley, they should be getting talked about more. Mobley has been tremendous this year, and I know they just lost a tough game, which probably knocked them to maybe more of the five six seed range, but. He's been one of the best freshmen in the country, and statistically, every time I look at his stats, I'm like, oh my gosh, what? this guy's a top five pick, and I haven't watched him play really at all this year. No one's really talking about him. All right, I have it clarified here, okay? So Washington was supposed to be in the Pac-12 championship, but they didn't have the minimum number of scholarship players available <laughs> because of COVID-19, okay. so they got bumped out. And Oregon comes in, and then they, they end up USC, winning the Pac-12 because, right? yeah, they ended up beating USC in that game. So, yeah, that, that yeah. that's where my mind was. I knew that Washington was somehow tied to this. But since okay. they got – it all makes sense now a little bit more that since they got bumped out, it's only fitting that they go out and win their first game without Larry Scott. Right. All right, my next one and done. Uh, shout out St. Bonaventure. They have SLU coming up this weekend, I believe, is still on the calendar. SLU has been like on pause forever and ever, and they're a team that we really like, so I'm intrigued to watch that game. But St. Bonaventure has won now five in a row. They beat VCU, who's been very good as well in the Atlantic 10. 70-54 win over VCU. They're kind of a bubble team right now, but we shouted them out before the season. They had some pauses, and now they're starting to play like the team that we envisioned really at the start of the season. A couple other bubble teams. I know you talked about how you wanted to like pick out some bubble resumes. We we don't really have to do that if if you don't have. But just some of these bubble teams that I'm looking at now, some of them are pretty intriguing. We mentioned Indiana, North Carolina, Syracuse is firmly on the bubble as always. Hmm. It feels like yeah. 
hmm. past seven, eight years. Um, Rutgers is now first team out on Bartorvik's projection, which I keep shouting out Bartorvik. They have the best bracketology page, I think. It's the the T-ranketology, Oh, so we've got yeah. a, a little bracket off now between him and right. Lenardi. Mm, exactly. I, I just like it because they project how they're going to finish the season and then take that. They take schedule into consideration as well and how got they're. Proje- so Rutgers is first team out. Georgia Tech right there with St. Bonaventure is the next two. Marquette, Providence. Providence just got a big win over Creighton. They have Villanova mm-hmm. this weekend. Pitt, I mean, is Pitt like a tournament team right now in your eyes? I think they've almost done enough that I'd put them in. Look, if you look at what everyone's done so far, like if the season ended today and you had to craft a field, Pitt is in it. Yeah. Like they, they have to be. I would agree because now they're 4-1 in ACC play. They rolled over Syracuse, basically beat Syracuse once on the road, rolled over them at home. They haven't really played a ton of games recently, but then when they go out and beat Duke, like that was a convincing win as well. So shout out to Jeff Gapel because he hasn't really proven it a ton with the exception of the Blake Griffin team in regular seasons, and this team has is, is definitely found something at this point in the season. Uh, any of those bubble teams stick out? I mean, Rutgers, I'm kind of disappointed to see them that close to the bubble, and I'm a little worried that they might... like they. I just feel so bad for that fan base because they made it last year and the stats won't say it and they should make it this year. And I just don't, I want to see them in the NCAA tournament. They deserve to be in the NCAA right. tournament because they're that good and they've been good for two years now, but I hope they don't barely miss it. I didn't think of it from that lens, but I mean, I'm looking right now through, through Lenardi. Where does he have Rutgers? I saw him for a second. Oh, he's got him as a nine seed right now. Um, against Oklahoma State and then, and then the winner gets to draw Gonzaga. So, um but no, I it it would suck if Rutgers doesn't make it this year. Yeah. Now, I, I do think they're going to get in for a number of reasons. A, their their conference is so good that there's good wins to be had throughout the season. And I think just they they're going to figure out a way and like they they've got Penn State tonight, which should be a good game, but I just think that this Rutgers team, they're too good defensively to crumble like this. And they've got so many returning guys too that right. know the pain of missing out on the NCAA tournament, especially the the way that they were playing last year. So I think that that's going to kick in at some point. And I would expect them when it's all said and done to probably be like a six seed or something. Yeah. My final one and done. And then we can get to whatever you have as your final ones. But Sienna is now six and zero. And there's the legit shot they finished the year unbeaten. And I really hope, I mean, that would probably put them as like a 14 seed, 15 seed if they went unbeaten. It would be awesome if there was a world where Gonzaga and Siena were both unbeaten and they met in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But that I would I would think if they go undefeated, they'll be more of a 14 seed type range. But shout out to them because it took them forever to play that first game. And now they've actually looked really good since they started playing. Yeah, good for Sienna. I mean, it's always nice to to finally get back out on the court for them. So uh, good for them. My last one here that I've got for you. Have you? Been, we've been following the story vaguely, but Zion Williamson is. Uh, was oh yeah. Not, I guess he, he, the, he won the, the case. The court, yeah, the court ruled yeah. with him in, in his in his claims uh, or in the claims by his former marketing agent Gina Ford, um, and, and basically saying that that she was. Um, what was it fired on, on not unlawfully, but like it, yeah. it was an, yeah, it, it was anyway, it, I, I don't really care much for these stories, but I, I feel like I had to bring it to, <laughs> to the attention of people. 
Um, he won. But yeah, so, so Zion won. Yeah. So Zion, Zion stays winning. Um, and then last one, actually, I, I did just see this one, and we can't forget this one. But we've got days, Tim. We've got dates for the first couple of oh, games right. of the Good NCAA call. tournament. Yeah. The, the first four will happen on March 18th which is less than two months away from right now. And then the first round is going to be followed up the 19th and 20th. Um, second round is going to be the 21st and 22nd. Those games are going to be at Mackey as well as uh, um, Assembly Hall in Bloomington and, and Banker's Life, Hinkle, and Farmer's Coliseum, and, and um, of course, Lucas Oil. And then the Sweet 16, 27th and 28th at Banker's Life in Hinkle with the Elite Eight at 29th and 30th at uh, Lucas Oil. And then the Final Four, of course, uh, the third and the fifth at Lucas Oil. I, I'm looking forward to a, a Sweet 16 game at Hinkle. Like, yeah. that's something that I think we've learned this year, is that Hinkle Fieldhouse is not just an atmosphere. It is a concept. And the team that I, best embodies B- Butler basketball is going to end up winning those games. One thing I do... Why are they playing at Lucas Oil? Because there's not going to be fans, right? They've already announced that. So if it's going to be an empty arena, might as well just put it at what's better sight lines and just a little less jarring to the naked eye. Like when you, I don't know. Maybe I guess they're holding fine. out hopes that that maybe they can change it too. Yeah, I think that that might be part of it. And I don't know. I mean. Maybe just, you can, you can years, somehow you can probably somehow find a way to get some fans in is what or at least family and friends and you want them yeah. to still have that big kind of atmosphere. Although I will say that the <laughs> the football stadium empty is probably going to be a very very strange situation. Right, but I mean and you can get you family and the, friends at Hinkle or somewhere if you. I don't know. I guess it's just the central location probably. I'm guessing too media wise they're probably still going to be letting in a number of media members and that's the best way to spread them out. To, I don't know. Yeah, that's I've a got, good point. I've got no no great answers for you. I'm I'm just spitballing yeah. at this point. It's just not a basketball arena. Like the benches look weird. It it's probably tough for she. I don't know. I figured they might go somewhere else. The other thing is that first round slate. What's notable is it's now Friday to Monday because they got to make sure everyone's tested and all that. I guess so. Right. Instead of Thursday at noon being the first game, which we're all so so accustomed to. I guess that's better because now you can. Instead of skipping out on some work on that Thursday, you'll be skipping out on someone that Monday, and you'll have Friday where you'll probably just not do anything. Like, Can normal, I throw so. out a, another reason for why they should hold it at Lucas Oil? This brings me back to when I was on a college visit at Ohio University. Okay. And apparently at Ohio University, there are dorm rooms in the basketball stadium. I, I don't know if they, like I was lied to really? on my tour or something, but what if... They turned the suites into rooms for all the players, and that way you can you can maintain everyone's kind. Of, you are literally creating the bubble, and yeah. hmm, maybe the NCAA should adopt that. Once you get, yeah, to like the, I think the they've got to get cracking on that if yeah. they're going to do it. Yeah. The whole thing Colts does done, have me so. a little uneasy, like. I, I hope it goes well. I'm sure we'll get through it all. I'm sure there will be a Final Four and there will be an NCAA champion crowned. I just, I'm just i pretty worried about it because it, it is spread out a lot, and we've seen a lot of postponements just in general. But I'll say I'm this. I'm sure they'll handle it. I'm worried, I'm worried now because we've seen the postponements happen, and now the kids are coming back. These next two, three weeks are, yeah. are going to be nut-crunching time, it feels like, for, for all these people because... This is this is where 
the problems arose for football. Yeah. Can you find a way now? Right. So we'll see. All right, time for our weekend picks. We're going to pick the top games of the weekend. We've been keeping track all year long. I've got 18 points. How we do this is if you get the pick right in a top 25 game against another top 25 opponent or any of these close weekend games, you get a point. If you pick your upset pick right, which is any unranked team to beat a top 25 team on the calendar from the weekend, you get two points. Tyler's got 23 points. He's 19 and 15 overall. I've got 18 points. I'm 18 and 16 overall. So you just hit a couple more upsets as well. But let's start with a top 15 showdown in the Big Ten. 15th ranked Ohio State at 10th ranked Wisconsin. All these games are Saturday that we're about to give you guys. I'm going to lean Wisconsin just because they're at home. And I think Ohio State's kind of been overachieving for a little bit with all the injuries they've had. I was going to bring up the guard play there. I don't think you can get away with the the shorthandedness of the point guard position against Wisconsin like you could against your prior two opponents. So I'm with you. Let's roll with uh, the Badgers on this one. All right, Duke is at Louisville. This is not a ranked game, but I do think it's intriguing because we talked about how Duke is at a nine on the panic meter. Louisville has had some down games as well when I was ready to crown them. As soon as I said they, they're my top team in the ACC, I think they've completely forgotten how to play basketball. Uh, and a lot of people were kind of on that train. Now it's looking more like Florida State, Virginia, even Virginia Tech maybe, are the, the top team in the ACC. I think Louisville will win this game, and this is really not a must-win for Duke, but it's it might be a can't-lose, as we often joke yeah. about. I, I'm with you. I, I like Louisville in this game as well, and uh, th- this game is at the Yum, right? So we get yep. we have to get the, the all-22 footage cams. The uh, Have you noticed this right. too, the cameras? They're so high up, and they're... <laughs> They're shooting all the way down, and you can see literally all 10 players on the floor. You can see three-quarters of the court on your TV at all times. So uh, I enjoyed it and also felt altitude sickness while watching their games. So I, I am rolling with Louisville here, though. I, again, I think Louisville's a solid team, and I just don't think Duke is very good. All right, why don't you pick first on this next one? Uh, this is maybe one that you might go different than me. But 23 UConn on the road at 11th ranked Creighton. Creighton has lost two in a row. They did get Marcus Zagorowski back in their loss to Providence, a game that Providence hit a bank in three from David Duke to kind of be a dagger later. And Zagorowski did the same thing on the other end to almost save them. Yeah, right. It was a wild finish that game. Um, Who do you got in this matchup? I actually like UConn in this matchup because one of the things that we've seen as a constant in the last two Creighton losses is they're playing against teams that slow down the tempo and UConn is one of those teams that also likes to play slow. And I think that's something that could hurt Creighton because they're a team that likes to really get up and move quickly. And when you're going up against a team that can get you out of tempo a little bit, like UConn can UConn right now outside the top 300 in pace offensively. And that's something that I think could hurt Creighton. And also remember this, UConn had this team on the ropes and I want to see what happens this time when when we pretty much saw the same thing with Providence, where Providence had them on the ropes earlier in the season, and then they came back and played them again, and Creighton, uh, and then uh, Providence took care of business. I think we could be seeing the same thing out of UConn. I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. It's kind of two teams that are due for a win. I just think Creighton's a little bit better with Zagorowski and UConn not having book night, so... 
I'll lean with them there, but we're we're in different opinions for once on that game. Next up, 20th ranked Clemson at Florida State. This really should be Clemson unranked at 20th ranked Florida State. If you updated the polls every yeah. single day, it would be something like that because Florida State has continued to trounce teams. They ran over Louisville this week. Clemson just lost to Georgia Tech in a tough loss after losing badly to Virginia. Clemson's kind of going through a rut right now. I think you have to take Florida State in this game the way they're playing. Totally agree with you here because the way that things are going defensively right now for Clemson, they've lost their identity. Their identity, I mean, not too long ago, we were talking about them as the best team defensively in the country, and they've lost that. I mean, they stepped on Virginia's block, and what do you know? Virginia goes out and crushes their defense, and then Georgia Tech lights it up from three. So I'm, I'm going with Florida State here because Florida State has that defensive identity, and they have the model of consistency to go with it as well. 19th-ranked Mizzou at 6th-ranked Tennessee. Good game in the SEC. Tennessee trying to bounce back. A little hesitant to to take them here because they really look terrible against Florida, but I think that'll make them hungry. They're at home. Mizzou's probably a little overrated in my eyes, if anything, so I'll take Tennessee. You know, I'll flip on you here, and I'll roll with Missouri in this game just because Missouri is one of those teams that's good for a spark win, and... That could be yeah. exactly like they, they've already faced them once. They got crushed once, but that game came all the way back in December, early or late December. So they, they've played once. I, I want to see what happens now, now that you, you've had the run against them a little bit. I, they handed Missouri their first loss, I, if I'm remembering correctly. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the Tigers here. Let, let's take the Tigers. I, as long as this doesn't turn into a three point shootout, Missouri has a chance. All right, time for our upset picks. I'm looking at the leaderboard, or I should say the scoreboard on ESPN.com now of all the different options we've got. Not a ton sticking out. I I think I'm going to go with Stanford at home against 24th-ranked UCLA. UCLA is 7-0 and in Pac-12 play. Just feels like they're kind of due for a loss. So I'm going to lean Stanford. There are a couple others. Maybe you could talk me into Georgia Tech over Virginia because Georgia Tech's been playing some better basketball of late now that they've kind of gotten healthy and sort of gotten over their rut to start the year but i'm gonna take stanford who do you have i'm torn right now between two and if i ask the casual person who to take i think they give me a pretty consensus answer but i'm between right now oklahoma state taking down baylor and syracuse taking down virginia tech both of the upsets i would be taking would be taking the home team but I think I'm gonna actually I'm gonna roll with Syracuse here in this one. Yeah. Because the Orange seem to have found a solid rotation now by getting Joe Girard off the basketball. He's no longer really the point guard of their offense. He's playing off the ball as a two guard more. And the influx of Kadari Richmond has seriously helped that team. The only concern is that Virginia Tech going to be really in the jerseys of these Syracuse guys because that's what we see out of Virginia Tech whenever they play Syracuse. But that's only really a problem when Joe Girard's handling the basketball because he's not the most sure-handed point guard with the with the ball. I think Kadari's a little bit better in that regard. So I'm gonna actually yeah. I'm gonna roll with Syracuse this week. Yeah, there's been a lot of Syracuse fans after Kadari getting a little bit more runtime. He looked good in their win over Miami, and they do need a win. They need their first signature win, kind of of the year. But that is our weekend picks. You can follow the show on Twitter at made the number four March. Uh, so that's made number four, and then March is our Twitter username. We'll be tweeting out our picks. We'll be tweeting out anything relevant from these games this weekend. 
And we will be back on Monday to kind of recap it all. We're here with you twice a week, Monday, Tuesday time. Table is usually early in the week once, and then depending on the games, usually Thursday and Friday or one, one of those days we put up our second pot of the week. But thanks for listening. As always, hope you guys enjoyed the weekend of College Hoops, and we'll talk to you on Monday. The game was over.